God's growth and law, the growth, the listing at spiritual principle applied to all Christian principles, move you right where you are, help you to where you the point for growth. We want to, we want to come to where we are current and take us to be. None of us, by the way, are where all of us have more growing to do. None of us have arrived. And so, uh, got look. all right, the first law we talked about is the mental reality. God is God, is God, the laws we talked about. Again, now that seems defied, maybe we talked about that in a couple weeks. Every we sin, every time we miss God, is in violation of that. We are in a small way our same God. He is not. Get this down in your life, and everything else in life will be to fall into place. Skip this, and nothing will work. Right. You don't understand that is God, and we are not. Think else in your life. Now, as long as you fight with your life will be filled with frustration, and uh, you're finally going to get to the point where you have to say, be willing to say, the battle is over, my weapon's down, you win. Because fighting God, never, ever. And so the first law to a heart, God's will, not your, not my will, is recognize that in the garden. Is God, we are not. The second law, take a step further, God does not need us, we just, is the second law we talked about in growth. God does not need us. He desperate. This illuminates our sinfulness and our total separation from God because of our sin. God can get along just fine without us, but we cannot live a second without He created us and He is separate from our created in and of Himself. And so God can get along fine without us. He can get along fine. He doesn't need our money to operate. Amen? He doesn't need bank thankful that he'll you and everybody who gives themselves will get his work done uh, without or without us, the blessing. That leads to our third law of tonight that I want to talk about, and it's simply this. What God demands, God supplies. What God demands, God supplies. This is a word of hope for anyone that finds himself with nowhere else to turn. The third law really brings us right into the heart of the gospel, and so we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, we're going to start with an Old Testament illustration. We find that in Genesis chapter 2. Let's start reading verse number 1. It came to pass after these things that God did Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, of Moriah, and offer him offering on the mountain. Abraham arose up early, saddled his ass, and ran with him. One morning in your life, wouldn't get up early. He took Isaac to play for the burnt offering and rose up. God had told him the third day, Abraham lifted up his far off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye, the ass, and I am the lad, go yonder and worship, and come again to the wood. Burnt offering a fire in his knife. And Isaac, his father, said, My father, he said, Here am I, someone said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide him. They both they came to a place God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him in Abraham forth as a knife to the Lord. Said Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine thy lad, for now I know that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram, and offered him a burnt offering. And Abraham called the name of that place Jireh, as it is said to stay word of Jireh, God the provider. God <coughs> what God demands. Father, I pray you help us here together. Not only to be reminded already for what you will. So God comes to Abraham the absolute, to take his son Isaac, Moriah, and to offer him there as a sacrifice, a burnt offering to the Lord. Now let's just get real raw here. That means to plunge his knife into the chest to kill him, him out, and then build a fire under and burn his body to the Lord. That's what God would do. Now, verse 2 stresses the close bond that God knew existed between Abraham and Isaac. Take now thy son, thine only son. Son whom thou lovest. It really, three different levels relationship there. Get him there and offer him. 
this raises many questions. Why would God ask a father to sacrifice? Is that not in violation of God this morning? It absolutely is. You're not to give uh, human sacrifices. If there was any argument from Abraham, it is not. And I have to think that, I'm not saying that it isn't, there's many others in the Bible who argued with God. Moses did, uh, Balaam did, many others who argued with God. And it's recorded for us in Scripture. There is not anything about Abraham. He just, uh, God told him that he rose up early in the morning. He took his son and his servants. He set out to obey God. When they got to Moriah, we see there in verse 5, he told his servants, abide to hear what the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Again, you have to wonder, what was Abraham? What kind of a long three days they're walking along? Him, not really himself, was going away. Now, Hebrews 11, 9 tells us that Abraham thought his thinking or mindset at this time was that God would his son from the dead. When he tells them, the servants, that you stay here with the ass and I'm going to, my son and I'll go up and come again, the, the wording and the language there seem to lead them to that we're going to go and we're coming back. That's the way it kind of laid out. Somehow Abraham found the God who. So as they walked along, father and son, Isaac asked if he broke Abraham's heart. He said, Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for that? I mean, that's the answer to the question. I like how Abraham moved back on God was that God. Uh, I. I He'll, he'll have to provide the land. Now, across the century, those words have echoed out. There is Abraham representing God, placing the wood, representing the cross, upon Isaac, represents Christ. And just as God the Father offered as Abraham was ready to offer his son, so God the Father offered. It is also instructive that the son representing Jesus Christ did not seem to put up a Isaac allowed himself to be bound. He's a full-grown man. He probably could have wrestled it out with, and probably won the wrestling match, but he didn't himself be bound, much like this morning we talked about with uh, be nice. <laughs> his daughter said uh, that his daughter said to do your vow. God, you see how these children are willing to sacrifice. And so it is the father offering his son freely and without God. Somehow, Abraham understood something about the doctrine. When he said those words, he was pointing not simply to an altar on Mount Moriah. He was uh, talking of a greater sacrifice offered at the very same location, by the way, about 2,000 years when God provided the ultimate land, his Christ. So they get there, they arrive, Abraham builds an altar of stones, and Isaac is helping his altar build, takes the wood on top of it. I love it. All right, ready, Dad, for the sacrifice. Turn around. He said, crying? How fast was Abraham's heart beat? What was Isaac's reaction? Uh, I doubt much was said. I mean, what do you say? Like this. Uh, what does a son who loves and trusts his father say as he's being bound on that altar? Then came, I mean, were their eyes locked as he lifted the knife up and raised it above the sons looking at each other? And it's like the but just as he's about to knife, and he was, he with all my heart. He's about to his knife, his son's chest. Uh, that, that very moment, not one second sooner, not one second too late, God's going lay not thy hand. Whew, that had to be the biggest at that moment, the timing. But it's also cool because just a ram caught the ticket. Uh, and I'm sure he ran to get to that ram itself. We're not going to have this happening. So he runs over, gets the ram, brings it back <coughs> with the same knife that would have been to take his son's life he offered that ram. And then he called that place of the giant, the Lord. We can sum this whole story up short. God saw, God demanded, God provided. Because what God demands, if God if God demanded do anything, and he enables things. He demanded a sacrifice, and then he provided what he did. As we read this story, it's easy to focus on Abraham's amazing faith, but the real hero of the story is not Abraham. The real hero is God. As great as Abraham was, God was the greater. He gave Abraham a seemingly impossible demand and then provided what Abraham lacked. 
to fulfill the demand he put on him. Isn't that amazing? God does that with all of He demands service of some type, and we are unable to do it. it will come. He supplied with Abraham, what Abraham filled his demand, thereby doing what God can. What God wanted all along, by the way, was not the death of Abraham's son. Know that. He wanted Abraham's absolute. He never meant for Isaac, uh, but, he, but it had to happen this way for to demonstrate his faith, for God to demonstrate his grace. Now, this all happened early in the Old Testament, several hundred years past. One day, God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai that would be the guide of Israel. God gave Moses a lot of instructions about the sacrifices they were to give to God uh, for what Christ would sacrifice later, but for their sin. Uh, the the uh, animals would have to be unblemished. The law was very specific. There would be no broken bones, no sores, no disease. They had to be without spot and without blemish. Now, it has been noted by many people. In fact, many detractors, very bloody, bloody uh, book. The Old Testament, and it is. Uh, if you were a priest, you killed and drained their blood, sometimes splashing blood on the altar, burning those animals all day long. That was your job, day after day, week after week, month after month. You'd go home with the smell of blood and burning flesh. Of blood, death, and sacrifice really was much of it about. There was no end to the killing, no end to the bloodshed, the death. That's the religion that God, now, question of animal pleasure. I think God enjoyed the smell of burning animal flesh. Micah 6 and 7 posed the question, wherewith shall I come to bow myself before the high? Shall I come before him with an offering, calves of thousands of rams and thousands of oil? Shall I give my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's a rhetorical question. That's not what God is ultimately interested in. It's even plainer in the New Testament and 8. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not Neither hadst any pleasure therein, which are offered by the Lord. Now, whatever you can say about the sacrificial system, it was not God's ultimate desire. Uh, all of it from the beginning, he always planned something better uh, than that. We know, of course, now looking back, uh, Hebrews 1 talks about all this being a shadow of good things to come. The divine object lesson, teaching them the sacrifice of something, ultimately someone, would be offered. So all this was an Old Testament illustration. God is going to demand something. He's going to demand a perfect sacrifice. Now, none of us are perfect, so therefore we cannot give ourselves as a perfect sacrifice. We cannot pay for our sin because there is none righteous, no, not one. But yet, that's what God demands, a perfect sacrifice. We cannot give it. And so what does God do? What God demands, he always provides. In Abraham's illustration, we see this New Testament fulfillment. In a sense, the entire legal system prepared the Jews for the day that John the Baptist saw Jesus' words. <laughs> Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1. What an amazing thing that was. Because he was the Lamb of heaven sent to earth. If we offer a sacrifice, all we can offer is animal blood. And God offers that Lamb is his son. He is sacrifice. All those animals in the Old Testament to death were meant to directly the perfect sacrifice. But it is an amazing thing when it comes to God demands something he absolutely cannot do. And so, because what God demands, there's an eternal truth. There's something in God causes to provide what is righteous. Now, that something, grace is unmerited favor. That's what it means now. We've often God's price spent. But grace, God's generosity to give us what we do not deserve and what we could never earn. So here's the gospel. And in, in the whole gospel in three very distinct statements. God said, do this. We said, we can't do this. God demanded perfection. We couldn't meet the standards. So God sent his son. God demanded a payment for so God sent his son to pay the full price. God demanded righteousness. But all we could offer was the rags. So God had sent his son who took our sin so that we could clothe in righteousness. 
God demanded a bloody sacrifice for We couldn't meet that. God has his son to die in our place, shedding his blood. Because what God demands, no blessing throughout our life. If God didn't supply his demand, would be helpless. His holiness demanded a perfect price. His love sent us his son. God says, you must. We said, we can't. He said, and that's the whole gospel and really our Christian life in a nutshell. What he demanded from us, he gave to us. What we needed, he provided. And there's more than just salvation. He knew that we needed guidance, so he gave us his word. I mean, this is the perfect guidance right here. We don't listen to angels. We don't have visions. We don't uh, hear voices in the night. If We probably had too much peace the night before. Uh, what he leads us with is this book right here. He leads us with his word. And I still have people many times who try to talk to me about different visions they've had or such things. Uh, this right here is what we, this is our guide. This is our guide for our life, our actions, our beliefs, and all that. His word. He, need, he knew we needed power. We needed power to serve him. We can't serve him in our own power. So what is he? The spirit, because what God demands. And when he tells us to do things like the great cook, he knows we don't have the power, the ability to do that. He gives us. He knew we needed encouragement. We are creatures that crave. We can't go very long at all without some encouragement. So what does God do? The local brothers put their arms around each other. And so God, what he demands, he supplies. And he placed in Christ all those great words of the gospel. Salvation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, hope, eternal life, redemption, substitution, reconciliation, adoption, justification, regeneration, glorification. All of that is given to us. It is all in response to the man he gave. We could not fulfill what God demands. God said, that is amazing. All of it is ours. All of it is free. All of it comes to us as a gift from God. We don't deserve it. We could never have earned it in a million years. Micah chapter 7 verse 8. Who is a God like unto that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth. I wish I'd be a better man. Triumph. The Lord delights. He's a God who delights to show mercy to sinners like you. He loves to be. He sends his son to die. He could say to a whole world out there, whosoever will, what a blessing. There's no other religion in the world like Christians. We're the only uh, people in the world who the grace of God without works. Every other Christian, every other religion says, do this, do that. Uh, our God says it's already been done. Two religions in the whole world been done, but we are the one that in the cross. With all that effort of what really demand, and what do they demand? To a church, synagogue, or a mosque, pray toward Mecca, light a camp, give alms, follow the follow the goal, try harder, do your best, follow the program, live a good life. And with all that effort, we know we won't blow it by tomorrow. Years ago, I don't know the difference in Islam, Christianity. He later sort of retracted this, but I think he said in radical Islam, God tells you your son, that God said the difference right there. In all religions, by the way, which one I want to say, man? God of grace. Now let me share uh, two different uh, simple applications. <coughs> if God provided all that we, then all we must do is reach out and be offered. Nothing in hand I bring. He said in Matthew 11, to me all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The psalmist encourages us to taste the Lord is good in Psalm 3. Then secondly, if you've experienced God's grace, we ought to respond with profound gratitude. Paul talked about the love of Christ constraineth me, he said. That's what keeps him going. We don't serve out of a feeling of, we serve out of a gratitude to the Lord for what he's done. Now, I'm not against duty. I think all of us have a duty of the Lord. What I mean is we're not serving as a way to earn God's favor. We have to do it to earn his, to merit his grace. He found us, saved us, redeemed us, gave us new life, set us on the road to him. And that gives us something we ought to give to God. And it doesn't stop there. As we're living the Christian life, God makes some demand. You know, by the way, there's an expectation to live our life. We know that doesn't just stop at salvation. He demands a holy life. 
And so he demands us to read and study and apply God's word in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse this world is formed by the renewing of our mind. We're to be in this book. We're to read the Bible. We're to be uh, constantly know God better like Paul said that I made. Uh, that ought to be our desire. We're commanded us to live a holy life. He desires our sanctification. Be set apart. Uh, set apart to serve. First Thessalonians 4, 3, the will of God, even your station, fornication. Luke 1, 75 tells us to live in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. We're to live a holy life. He, he demands also for us to all be somehow involved in souling and giving the gospel. Uh, God is not willing that any, uh, Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, go you know all the world and preach the gospel to every, every one of us who's a child of God has part of that responsibility on our shoulders. Christ's last hand ought to be. And so every one of us, whether it be gospel tracts and talking, uh, starting conversations or using our social media or however we do, we need to be about uh, telling others about Christ. It's not a gift, by the way, a gift. We all have to work naturally. But uh, no, I'm just, it doesn't. Number four, he demands a right heart attitude. Our service for Christ is to be right from the heart. Pure motives, six, seven, and eight, with goodwill doing the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever can doeth, the same shall he raise the Lord, whether we're supposed to properly use our time in Scripture. He demands for us to the time, buy the time back, quit wasting time, he says. Make good small amount of time God gives us. He tells us in 5, 50 walks from speculate, not as fools, but as wise, read the time, because the days are. He demands civil obedience. Uh, we're to submit to every ordinance of man, to maintain testimony, and to try to win them. First Timothy, uh, First Peter, I'm sorry, keep yourself to every man for the Lord's sake. Whether, verse 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing the silence, that's talking about having the right time. God demands us, what God demands you joy early in the morning? That what happens? Bounce up out of bed, a big old smile, after coffee. Thank God he gives us coffee. Uh, but he says in First Thessalonians 5, 6, he also demands us to pray, pray without seeking. We are, that's a command, it's not a, a demand of the Lord. And then he gives thanks in everything. Not for everything, but in every pretty gift for Thessalonians 5 8 of God and Christ. You see, how in the world? That's a long list. By the way, forgive. We're to love our enemies. Freudians, they call that. To love our enemies. I find it interesting. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors. There's a lot of times. Uh, but uh, we're to love a lot of commands in Scripture. And God demands those things. So how do we how, how do we say that God when demands that? I think the answer is found if we I'd like to be found in John chapter 4. After, <coughs> after he has just passionately told Jesus, he'll follow him. I don't care what happens, what what the bad happens, I will be death. Not only that, he insulted all the comrades with him. He said, all these jokers might fail you, but I will go with you. Now on John 8, exactly three times, in front of a girl, just a, a maiden standing, wasn't a bunch of armed soldiers, a maiden. The Bible said John 8 went out, and may I, he stood in front of the high priest. He tells the high priest, let me tell you, the high priest, Jesus, the one, the Messiah of Israel, who you, talking from jail, and actually did have him jailed. He, he, there's, here's Christ whom you crucified. So they threatened. They threatened him with imprisonment and death. You know what he says? We cannot but speak the things. Peter, Peter, who just couldn't stand up to this girl, is saying, look, I, you threaten me with death all you want to. I can't stop talking about my death, And I'm not going to about it. In Acts chapter 5, it confronts Ananias and Sapphira, and they fall dead at his. We look, we look at the section of life. What in the world happened loudmouth? Well, what happened to Spineless happened in chapter 1. But it said, after that, the Holy Ghost, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, what God did. And so when he demands a holy life from us, when he demands that we be a witness, when he demands that we love our enemies, when he demands we forgive those who are hard to when he demands that we do all those things that seem are, are seem possible, he then gifts us with the Holy Spirit and power of us because what God demands. Isn't that a wonderful spiritual 
He doesn't ask. He doesn't ask you something that's beyond the powers of uh, achieving because he demands the plot. Sometimes it seems like it. I don't know how many of the great preachers, and they'll give their testimony. When I was a kid, I stuttered so bad I could say a straight saint. God called a worldly, but God healed them of They got beyond it because of it. The same is true in your life. He will not ask anything. He will not empower you. He will not ask you uh, to sacrifice. He won't provide the sacrifice. He have to be sacrificed. Like Abraham, sacrificing his son. God stops him and sacrifice demand. Is that a blessing? So, serve then confident. Serve with the knowledge that when God tells you to do something that seemingly just a practical example of that. We talked about it in the disciples of tithing. I've talked, there's no way I could let God, I'm telling you, it works. Those type of, you honor God by doing what, try him out. In fact, Malachi department, prove it if I don't open the windows of heaven. Father, we thank you. Great, great. You can really see it all throughout. It's demanded. You've always supplied the I pray you'd help us grateful salvation would not have to serve in whatever capacity you have us to serve in to seize every opportunity you give us knowing that you demand anything about the rest of this thank you tonight this thing for us this week we are in projects here and hope